0: Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, this is the PRC Show. I am your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. Ugh, I messed that up. Anyways, this is actually reading Parting the Waters, episode 008. And we are going to get right back into the book, which is uh, chapter 10, The Kennedy Transition. I'm here with my friend Gabe. It is the day before Valentine's Day. It is the year 2032. It's not, it's 2022, but you're probably listening this. I know this show is going to be really popular in 2040. Anyways, Gabe, how are you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here. Good. So in this chapter, we are going to learn about... First off, Chapter 10. Do you remember it? Because we are going to be doing a couple chapters today. Guys, that's the secret behind these shows, is that we do multiple chapters at once, and then put them out later. But uh, initial thoughts of Chapter 10, did you like it? I mean... The Kennedy I, transition? I
1: like the Kennedy transition. I find it interesting. I'm not... I ha- I won't lie to you. I'm not enamored of the Kennedys as a kind of myth and and but the nuts and bolts of trying to figure out what they're doing and how to lead when they're not that experienced at it but they're pretty driven and pretty entitled is interesting.
0: I thought that Let me rephrase that. I enjoyed a little more of the politics and the Kennedys and had a little more sympathy for them than I did in the last two episodes of Kennedy prior to him getting elected and him trying to navigate that um, in these next two chapters, believe it or not. And we'll get into it, and there's reasons why. So uh, there's some fun stuff in these next two chapters. It's going to get a little more exciting. There's not as much King, but in this chapter we're going to learn, chapter 10, what great Pennsylvanian civil rights leader comes from Uniontown, PA. Hmm. I'm not even sure if Gabe knows it. I hope you did your readings, Gabe. Okay, then we're going to learn about Uh, what was originally called The Journey of Reconciliation. And that name changed to, and this is an easy one. You don't even have to read the book. You should know what this is. It's a big civil rights thing. It was called The Journey of Reconciliation, but they changed the name. Do you know what that is? Gabe, don't say it. God, you look like you haven't I, read. Anyways, I
1: feel like I did. Okay, but th- th- these feel also like um, <laughs> the kind of questions that you're doing to sort of tease the reader more than a quick quiz for me. It is.
0: I want you to like answer in your head and look like you know. Anyways, uh, okay. Why like does this. Da-
1: oh, I'm nodding. <laughs> okay. I'm nodding. Yes, good, absolutely. Why
0: does Daddy King get booed? Yikes! Then we're gonna go over into something called the what I call. The bathroom incident, (laughs) which is not really a thing, but it does highlight something we'll talk about. And then more on John Doerr and voting rights and why it's so difficult to prove legal discrimination and what famous Civil War's grandson who fought for the Union side is not great on civil rights or better put it, is not really good on what he said, racial matters. This is a little tidbit, but it was like, come on, buddy. Okay. Anyways, let's get into it. We got JFK. He's all the rage. He's in. He's the most overrated president in American history. Okay. Enough, Paul. I'm not going to editorialize there. I will later on. But, um, you know, he's symbolized as something of a change. He's young. He's Catholic. He's handsome. He smiles easily. He's charismatic. Is he big on policy and social change? No. Maybe. We'll find out. Uh, um, And... Obviously, he gets assassinated right before my birthday, years later. Uh, and he just... Do you want to quibble with my little Kennedy thing, what I said there?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll let it ride. Okay,
0: cool. Okay, so after the election, 1960, John Lewis, future congressman, remember, he's a sit-in guy from Nashville. He prayed to the chickens. You should know that. So he and two friends sit down.
1: I think he prayed with the chickens more than to the... I don't think it, the chickens are not his god. They're the congregation. He's not
0: worshiping chickens. Oh my God! You make him sound like some you know kind what. Of a... I have to take a pause here because I want to do a really quick thing here. We have a letter from uh, one of our listeners that n- that needed to be read, and this is from uh, a guy named Salvador in Erie, PA. So let me just go into this. So Salvador says. Gabe, can you please help Paul and correct him when he uses words incorrectly? Or maybe don't. If you do, it would make the show much longer, because correcting him every two or three sentences would just make it insufferable. Once Paul used the word ellipse, and then he used it correctly, eclipse. God, you're so dumb. Which one is it? Did you even go to school? Oh, God. Okay, I apologize. Sometimes I get excited and I use words incorrectly. And I think I did hear that ellipse and eclipse wrong. Um, I don't even remember that. Yeah, it, it's a so fair enough he didn't pray to <laughs> the chickens. He was the the chickens were his congregation.
1: It's eccentric. It's weird. I'll grant you that. But he he's not re- replacing the Christian God no, he's with not. a bird.
0: So he sits down for these 10 cent hamburgers at a national restaurant with a buddy uh called the Crystal. It's kind of like a McDonald's or a precursor to it. Anyways, Oh my God, these people are such jerks. Okay, here's what happens. Uh, He's visibly distressed when a waitress uh, pours cleansing powder down his back and then water all over his food while um, he, and actually there's a couple other black folks with him, continued to just sit there and eat their meals like we're not going to be moved by this act of aggression. We're going to continue to stand our ground and we're going to eat our meals. Which, that's got to take some incredible resolve. Um, so he comes back with James Bevel. Uh, he's the guy that you know preached in the shower and kind of got converted to civil rights movement at Highlander. Um, so, and, and for some, I don't know if we talk about this, Bevel ends up ends becoming the chairman, oh, there's my glasses are on, of the uh, SNCC. So they go back, they eat again, kind of same sort of thing happens. And then they want to speak to the manager. And guess what happens? The manager apologizes. <laughs> no, this is unbelievable. He, cle- The manager says, okay, everyone out of here, throws like all the people that are regular, you know, white people and everything out, the staff, locks the doors and turns on the fuma- some sort of fumigation machine and locks them in. So like smoke's coming in, there's all this commotion, people start to gather outside Bevel's like kind of losing his mind and preaching about. Branch says Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, King Nazer, the fiery furnace. I mean, it's just like they're stuck in there and it's getting really hard to breathe. Finally, a manager smashes the door open or open or unlocks the door because like the fire departments there and they're about to open up. Like, what the heck's going on? Um, and so this occurs, the way King uh, Branch places this, this occurs right after kind of K- Kennedy's, I don't know, uh, victory, and King's super happy, not super happy, but he writes, King's excited about Kennedy's victory, but then he hears this news and he's like, oh, man, this is going to be a long fight. I want to
1: just mark this as one of those places where my faith in my fellow humans... <laughs> Like, uh, it is. It's not so much shaken. It's not like it's shaken ne- these I've, next two I've chapters. Ne- never, gonna, yeah. never heard terrible stories before. I've never seen bad things. What I'm saying though is that to have to be reminded of this kind of peculiar creative sadism on the part of both the waitress and the the owner of the restaurant to try to pour cleaning agent onto a human body or to try to turn on a fumigation system designed for killing insects on two black men, which they've locked inside the building. This, th- There's nothing in the law that says this is how segregation is supposed to be enforced. These two people created this yes, un- yeah. themselves. Yeah, their inherent hatred. And th- I think there there is a sadistic aspect to it, that there's some kind of, I'm going to exercise power over someone else. I'm going to take some... Uh, vile pleasure in it. And
0: it's, this is going to come up several it's times in come the next up several two chapters. Times. We're, we're going to have to suffer through this. It's we're going to suffer through it, but I oddly take well there's two there's two ways I think about this. And one is I have a deep uh, upsetness, a hatred for these people that are doing this and it's so upsetting, but I also have this very strange, I don't know if it's because of the times we're living in, this very strange patriotic proudness of these Americans that are doing this and what remarkable people these are because I think of myself as somewhat of a person that believes in justice and equality and I have done things and shown up to demonstrations but I could not have done this this is like amazing to me and it's like so cool and it's like oh my god this is just awesome that they did not like I have a friend that I know he would just have reflexively punched that woman in the face and, mm. and he almost would have apologized but mm. he just could not like he would have been so short-tempered about it anyways um this is where we get into uh well i just wanted to make one more comment too before we get into more of this i was also thinking about how we're, as we're going forward we're seeing more and more characters that are kind of doing all this non-violent stuff that's i'm gonna use the word eclipse correctly maybe kind of eclipsing some of the stuff king has done at this point you know, he has done some demonstrations, obviously, but th- some of these people are getting really to the point of confrontation, which is scary. So anyways, oh, this is a fun one. I love to just hate on people sometimes. Uh, King does a televised debate with James K. Colpatrick. He's a newspaper guy who opposed integration. Mm. Oh, okay. Said it, <laughs> I, I want to talk about identity here in a second after I go through this, because this is just a fascinating subject. I could talk about it all day. So he's, um, so he's in this uh, televised debate. And this guy, Kilpatrick, says, you know, I'm against taking away the sovereign rights of Virginia. And the hidden goal of all this, these sit-ins, is sexual. It's universal miscegenation, you know, uh, blending of the races. And he says, we believe it is a firmly good thing to preserve the predominantly racial characteristics that have contributed to Western civilization civilization over the past 2,000 years. And then he also just adds, oh, and it's bad manners to have sit-ins. This guy, I mean, come on. I hate when they say, it's, a, it's like a, a pet peeve when I hear Western civilization. I hate that term. It's always a code for, I probably disagree with you 100% if you're saying Western civilization. Thoughts, Gabe?
1: Well, this high-minded, high-minded, televised intellectual presentation of the importance of all of these legal and physical and uh, terrible manipulations of uh, violations of universal human rights to prevent uh, sexual Congress between people who don't look like each other in order to preserve these uh, essential qualities. I think there's a, there's some kind of a through line between that and the kind of sadism we were just talking about. It's, this is the kind of thing that, uh, is really hard to look at square in the eye because it's so, uh,
0: it's so dehumanizing. I think to the people who think it, like to, to it th- makes them seem like barbarian morons, Correct. which they're Correct. not. They're probably good fathers and whatever, and who knows what they are. It it it
1: it it, it, it makes you. Really, are they a
0: different species? <laughs> like,
1: I think. <laughs> well, in, anyway, it, I mean, look, obviously, all over the world, there are lots of different people who have engaged in terrible things. But uh, it's to think that, 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 that this has such a deep hold and that it's just below the surface. Um, that, that I think there really is a through line between that kind of um, creative, grotesque cruelty and this. Um,
0: it's definitely connected I mean, because then because then Kilpatrick goes on to say we do not believe that the way to preserve um you know our our Western civilization lies in fostering any intimate race mixing I just really hate this idea and it's so phony baloney race mixing and all that stuff I highly recommend a show Gabe actually pointed out called uh it's kind of a dumb history historical fiction show called um the Last Kingdom, where you have Saxons and Danes fighting each other. And they're like the same, but they think they're different. That's like the whole thing of identity. You could go through the whole ages, Irish and Italians, or you know the people in Ireland, or as my uh, father-in-law says in Eastern Europe, it's like Boris killing Boris, but they think they're different. And it's like, God, this is so dumb. Anyways um even if you go back even far 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 like there's neanderthals which we had relationships with apparently anyways the new kennedy administration saw voter registration as their way of contributing to civil rights this is where i'm gonna give kennedy a little bit of a um not gonna hate on him as much and not be as bored because they did want to that was like their way they saw quietly this is how branch writes it using john door in tennessee um pushing voter registration challenging these things legally but not in the public eye they didn't want people to know they're doing this but i firmly believed well he he says it later on where uh, kennedy's views on race so that's that what that's what was going on door did win some court orders overturning evictions of over 300 sharecroppers um and kennedy keeps him on even though he's an eisenhower guy and he sees that he's making progress and taking it seriously i mean and there's like reams what they say dollies of documents that are coming in to the to the office of like showing voters uh repression so at his inauguration jfk does his like grandiose freedom speech which everybody loves it's like it's a quote like man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life you know, we can eliminate poverty or we can destroy each other. If a free society—with nukes. If a free society cannot help the many who are poor, it cannot save the few who are rich. And even he even said, um, maybe the communists might join us in exploring the stars, conquer the deserts, eradicate disease. So it's this very positive, looking forward, inspirational speech that even Shuttlesworth say, says, man, what a wonderful president we have now. This branch has, inspires J.H. Meredith— if you remember he was jh meredith from our first episode later on he changed his name to james because he literally was jh because of you know it's a way to prevent people from calling him a diminutive nickname okay um he says you know what the best way for me to contribute to the uh democratic process is to go go to college so he sought advice from uh med not
1: just any college though
0: <laughs> not just any college he, but uh med that's a little bit of a foreshadowing thing there um we're going to get, we'll get into him, I'm sure, later. Uh, but he didn't mention civil rights or race, Kennedy, at his inauguration speech. Um, Branch says that he thought racism was irrational and, you know, N- Kennedy seemed more uh, comfortable in the presence of Negroes. You got to remember the context of the time. Russia is very scary. So, all right, young people, whatever. It was bin Laden. It was the, it was the Ruskies back then, as they say. It was the communist. You know, I, I'm sure when people are listening to this in 2040, it's going to be some uh, group of Mormon separatists. Who knows? I don't even know. Like, it's, There's always some—and and whatever, those Mormon separatists, if they exist, it's a boogeyman. It's phony baloney. Like, the, the, the real problems are going on at home, and that's—whatever. I'm not going to go on a tangent here. So Wyatt Walker notices there's—he's the head of—who's um, Wyatt Walker, Gabe? Uh, isn't he the cha- um, Chair the- of the SCLC
1: right he's the um, like staff director kind of
0: staff director kind of the cocky of but staff. but yeah. competent he sees more monies coming in from celebs they got a fifty thousand dollars from a uh, Sinatra um did a big party for the, to, to uh, contribute to King there was like a five hour big thing going on Coretta gives birth to a new son and his name is named after a church that Martin Luther King first had Dexter uh which is a great name it's a great name um we're gonna get in some more action here I just want to cover some things there's the cia does the, the bay of pigs is a context you know we're not going to get into that but it was a big stain on jfk's career as early his early uh, tenure there um shuttlesworth is in legal trouble due to the sullivan case fred shuttlesworth pastor in birmingham alabama yes or atlanta Birmingham. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, this is a libel case against Sullivan, who's the police commissioner in Montgomery, and he sues Shuttlesworth and a bunch of other people for $500,000. Did I get that right? Yes, I yeah, believe yeah. that's right. King is offered a job at the National Director of Corps, um, but I don't think he takes it. But then he's like, that's not going to happen. I can't do that. So it goes to James Farmer, who's nine years older than him. He's a member of CORE. And has been active in civil rights for a long time. Um, he core was originally titled the Committee on Racial Equality. It then becomes Congress on Racial Equality. He, as a teen, like met with FDR, kind of has a um, Bayard Rustin a little bit, uh, eclectic background, lived with a Gandhian ashram in yeah, Harlem. He, he
1: absolutely comes out of this same Christian pacifist, Christian Gandhian tradition,
0: right? um Bounced around between union jobs before settling in at the NAACP. Okay, let's settle in a little bit here. I keep like listing off things, which gets annoying to listen to. Sorry. So, CORE is important. Why is CORE important? Because they come up with the idea of really aggressive, how am I going to say this aggressively taking nonviolence to the point of the knife. (laughs) like this is like crazy to me um well you'll find out why so they come up with this die idea of a second freedom ride so we talked about this a little bit before but people were taking buses into the south to challenge segregation before like way back bayard rustin did it in 1947 and got his like teeth kicked in or he got beat up many times he was always getting beat up so uh gordon carey with core proposes that they undertake a second journey of reconciliation the idea was to test bus facilities, and the publicity about their courage they feel would, in, in the face of, like, violence, would be a really good thing to advance the cause. And Farmer really liked this idea. He just said, you know what, this is great, but let's change the name from Journey of Reconciliation to The Freedom Ride. So this will be really the subject of the next two or three episodes. Uh any comments before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts on this freedom ride, the whole idea of it? Well, because uh, do you like how I say like aggressive nonviolence? Like it's, it's, um, at one point, some of the white southerners accuse, and oh, I'm going to say this, accuse them of causing this violence. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, while they're wrong, you can see where they say that because if they wouldn't be there, this violent, violence wouldn't happen. So it's like, I use the phrase like aggressive. Nonviolence.
1: I'm not troubled by that phrase. I mean, yeah. it seems like it's a, a tactic that's seeking to to defy an unjust law uh, as opposed to, uh, it, for example, engaging in, in the boycott. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the boycott was uh, – the bus boycott, for example, was an attempt to um, do away with unfair practices but seeking out and engaging in a objectively illegal activity to try to expose an unjust law and to try to frankly push the other side to react and overreact does take it to the next level but this right? was actually
0: legal though because interstate travel was supposed to be integrated wasn't it god we should know this
1: well that's a good point so the, the they're the, just trying the, to they're the just federal, tra- they're challenging the fe- norms the federal supreme court has said, and, and they keep citing this, the federal Supreme Court has said that interstate travel. Yeah, interstate travel, right. right. Um, so in this particular case, I think, I guess you're right. Insofar, so you far, know, obviously, if you would make the case that federal law... Um, super, and they're not super, doing super, this for the law. They're trying to law.
0: change right. the society and get... But you know.
1: it seems it seems um, th- that's... I think you're correct um, on the facts. But it's, it's closer in spirit to, like, the, the lunch counter set-in. Yes, right, yes. yes. In, that, in that you're trying, like like that we were just talking about, that resulted in this really grotesque um, attempt to poison um, oh yeah. Beville and, and, and Lewis. But they're putting themselves in a situation where, in that case, it would be a local ordinance or a state ordinance on segregation, right? Here, they're going to cross state lines. They're going to force the states to decide, are they going to uphold state... And local segregation, or are they going to accept that the Supreme Court has um, uh, integrated right. uh, interstate travel? And so, but this is a long way of saying I think you're right <laughs> that it is um, it's seeking out um, confrontation. To, it's seeking con- out confrontation. Confrontation to uh, to expose injustice. As yeah.
0: A- so Rock Hill, oh, <clears throat> Rock Hill, North Carolina, February first, nineteen sixty one. This isn't a bus thing yet, but uh, this is uh, one year later. Um, oh, students are, are marking the, uh, are having demonstrations marking the anniversary of the Greensboro sit-in. Remember, February 1st, 1960, that was after King left Dexter, then, then all that sit-in started to happen. So, police arrest 10 students sitting at a McCory's lunch counter when a local judge imposed a $100 sentence or 30 days in jail. Well, nine of the 10 said, give me jail. One kid carried a toothbrush to the sit-in and wrote a letter to his disapproving parents saying try to understand that what I'm doing is right. It isn't like I'm going to jail for a crime or stealing or killing, but we are going for the betterment of all Negroes. Good for him. Uh, I'm sure his parents were eventually proud of him. Uh, This was welcome news for SNCC leadership because the jail not bail philosophy fit right in with their dwindling bail money reserves. Um, But obviously the commitment to jail was a giant step. And here I want to play John Coltrane's song giant steps so maybe you'll hear it maybe you won't it's a great song ella baker is an advisor to them and then there's a guy tom gaither uh he comes for reinforcements he's with snick tom gaither by the way is a slippery rock biology university professor which is near us i want to meet him he's still alive and uh anyways so four snc leaders um decide they need to join them so who goes of course diane nash followed by ruby Dor smith of spellman Charles Strata, Virginia University or something. Um, Charles Jones of Smith College. They decided they needed to join them. And um, with with Baker's blessing, they arrive, um, go to that same place and get arrested. And they were thinking like, oh, this might be like a failure. Like this isn't getting the kind of national attention what is our victory here? What's our end game? Like, what are we doing? And there's this thought like, well, maybe this is just good for our like psychological resolve. Like, this will be good. We'll just have like people coming in here to like really, uh, what do you call it? Just build up our, uh, um, testament or something. Um, and thank God they just didn't keep doing that because that would be a really big drain. Uh, so they catch wind of the freedom ride idea. Because Tom Gaither, Slippery Rock guy, uh, he goes to New York, gives a speech, talk about what's going on, and, and um, Rock, what is it called again? Rock, uh, Rock Hill, and um, I'm getting lost here. He says, "They're like, hey, we need, to, we want to do this, you know, Freedom Ride." He's like, "Okay, I'll be the scouting guy. I'll go down and I'll scout the bus terminals." So he goes down. And he says, you know what, I think in Aniston, it's not going to go well. Just letting you know, Aniston, there might be some trouble. Um, so they kind of are planning this. Meanwhile, King sends letters to students saying how much he's inspired by this, saying every day you remain behind bars. This is uh, it, it sears the conscience of that immoral city. Um, Nashville sit in veterans like Diane Nash and James Bevel increase their uh movie theater desegregation tactics and of course they are confronted by hostile white teens who they call hoods because of their hood like ducktail haircuts or something i don't know um back in nashville james lawson he's not there for some reason he's one of the leaders a friend reverend kelly smith served as a leading advisor and oh okay wait i gotta pause on this because this is an interesting scene so they're doing this negotiations about the, um, the natural, the, I don't know if it's the, go ahead.
1: The ducktail hairdo. What I'm thinking about is the, the greaser kids in like the, the, the seventies movie musical Grease, like that um, Danny and his friends. Uh-huh, yeah, maybe right? like where, where, where like the like, hair is like slicked in the back. And it looks like a hood. Yeah. Is, I just is, like, is that what they mean by the ducktail hair
0: sand sandman? I think so. I don't know. We'll have to look it up. We'll, 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 we'll have right. a letter to clarify.
1: Um, this is where, like, we should ask my father, who just turned 75. He would probably, <laughs> oh, well, a hood wears his hair like this, right? <laughs> right, Because right. he was a kid then, right? Yeah. But.
0: So James Bevel articulated the student's proposal, while John Lewis... There, there's the negotiations over some sort of um, a... Uh, how am I going to say this? There, there's negotiations over... An agreement with the city regarding how they're going to end some sort of uh, uh, demonstrations that have been going on. And Lewis is kind of sitting there stoically in the corner, not really saying much, which I guess is unusual for him. He's more engaged, and whenever questions are asked, he's like ignoring the finer points, and he's just saying like, "We're going to march tonight." There's another um, theological advisor there named uh, Pastor Campbell or something, and he's worried like, "Look, we got to stop all this violence or this, this, this." these demonstrations were provoking violence. Campbell loses his patience with Lewis and said, "Listen, you know very you know there's very likely to be violence tonight. There's going to be another demonstration, Lewis, like we can't do this and I can only conclude that it's just pride with you. You're being bullheaded about this. You're refusing to agree and it's because of your own pride and your own sin, which his own sin, I guess, is referring to Lewis's stutter, I suppose. The room goes silent in this scene, and the sting of, uh, the, what Branch says, the sting of Campbell's rebuke made uh, Lewis kind of smile warmly at Campbell as though uh, taking pity on him and saying, okay, I'm a sinner, he replied softly and said, we're going to march tonight. <laughs> like
1: I, I was, uh, I wanted to jump up and down in my chair and pump my fist in the air when i uh read this oh it's part. badass i i think the sin uh yeah i didn't know what the is, sin was is is this and the, the sin of pride in this case is uh believing so much in yourself and your own message getting so high on your own supply oh, that you're going to your lead horse, people yeah. into That's catastrophe long. right and like in other words you have you have your theory you have your ideology but young man listen to me you can't keep doing this you have to compromise your values you have you have to take a step back you have to put this on hold because people are going to get hurt yes but what the very young john lewis sees is that this is going to create the creative tension yes that's going to make change possible and he won't accept this admonition from this theologian and this is do you remember a few chapters earlier Mm-hmm. when um, leaders in the movement, I think um, Ella Baker is saying, look, he stutters, he is not... Oh, Septima Clark. Septima Clark. Yeah. Thank, forgive me. Yeah, Septima Clark says, forgiven. look, he doesn't have the this sort of articulate quality that... Obviously but there's something about him. him. There's something about him.
0: The intangibles, and they say in he, sports.
1: He, <laughs> he has this uh, moral clarity... And also, frankly, I think the sort of strategic insight about the importance of this. And it just cuts through. Yes, because sometimes you have to
0: compromise, I think, because it would be a slaughter and you have to kind of make a decision. And it's not just like always I I don't want to get listeners thinking that it's like the best people, the the ones we're always going for it. And like in two minutes, we're going to hear sort of a compromise. So um, so the students followed Lewis's lead on February 20th. Nashville police make. Spot arrests, uh, Lewis gets arrested for the fourth time now. He's- but
1: but just, Go just, ahead. just to finish the thought, like th- this is a this is a precursor. This is like an early moment of what how the nineteen sixties becomes the capital T, capital S, the sixties. Because this discussion we're having right now is the discussion of the generation, hmm. right? The discussion of when to um, when right, to like settle. Bob Dylan is going to write songs about <laughs> your sons and daughters are beyond your command. Yeah, this is it, man. Yeah.
0: Oh, good. Good point. Good point. Um, so he's unable. He's arrested again. Lewis is unable to deliver his sermon at seminary. Okay, and then connecting it back to the Freedom Rides, he looks at a March SNCC newsletter and he sees that 10 other cities are a part of this freedom ride, and it's a, it's an advertisement for people to join up. And Lewis said he'd be willing to sacrifice his graduation from the seminary and everything else required. This is the most important decision of his life, he says, so he decided to give up all necessary freedom for the freedom ride uh, for justice and freedom might come to the Deep South. Okay, so we are going to go into that in a minute, but I want to have a little bit of a, a side because Branch does it. He's always taking these little side detours. Although, coming up, we're going to be going full speed ahead. So this is where I get into the bathroom incident. <laughs> I know we're not... Um, no one calls it that, and I'm just being silly. So we're in Atlanta. There's student demonstrations going on over there with lunch counters. Uh, I think in the department store. And there's negotiations with the Chamber of Commerce. President Ivan Allen Jr., attorney... Um, and, and the attorney for the civil rights... attorney. Well, the, attor- <clears throat> the civil rights attorney, this guy Walden... Um, And an elderly, Laura Dean... Okay, my auto dictation might have screwed this up. Sorry. Um, So Walden is a older, kind of like a black elder of the civil rights movement. Um, Branch writes that there was a sticky moment when Walden was asked to be shown the bathroom in this negotiations between the... It's like white leadership and black leadership, And Alan hesitated briefly. He's the civil, he's the chamber of commerce guy because he knew he couldn't ask the man of this kind of prestige and rank to use the unkempt separate restroom for Negroes. But he also knew that his white employees would like lose their whatever if he allowed Walden to use the restroom reserved for them. Thankfully, Alan was quick witted and instinctively graciously invited Walden to use his own private bathroom. Um, he knew uh like this would like think this end up working out for him. This is I think an interesting point because it shows the branch mentions this it shows the kind of feelings that some of the younger civil rights activists saw that these elders were maybe undercutting them or being treated differently. they had this um different relationship than we did um Mm.
1: This reminded me of the anecdotes during the the bus boycott of individual um, well-to-do white men and white women offering rides Mm -hmm. or or, um, cab money to domestic workers saying, don't tell so-and-so I'm doing this, but let me help you out. Because it it is true. It's
0: like a weird act of kindness.
1: It's a weird act of kindness, but it's also, I think an admission of the personal moral cost of racism that at, at the sort of
0: like the racist guy doesn't want to be racist
1: in the moment. He's like, I'm really- to actually like, so if, if, if you are a well-to-do woman and you have a house and you have a domestic worker and that domestic worker is there all the time and you get to know her and now there's a bus boycott. And the only way to win the bus boycott is for that woman to like walk till her feet bleed but you don't actually want to have a domestic worker like limping around your house with her f- feet bleeding, so you give her money for the cab, right? Mm-hmm. That, in other words, like you sort of don't have the courage of the racist convictions that you also sort of want to have. Yeah, some, he's not going to make and, him and, go into the right? basement. And in this situation, he doesn't want to make this man who is having a decent exchange with go into this filthy, segregated bathroom. It's preposterous. And so he, he, it's it's just the, these moments that
0: sort of prove the lie how uh, yeah what, what a lie and how freaking ridiculous it is that he basically acknowledge it's like him acknowledging like yes this is dumb i can't i'm not gonna make you go like pee in a crapo bathroom in the basement or wherever it is um so uh Yeah, and like I said, the students and yet doesn't want to be
1: seen to right. It's complicated because he doesn't want to show that, like, oh, you're treating him nice, breaking the norms of of Jim Crow, just like the the man and the woman. And And the the student, believe,
0: like, Walton made a lifetime habit of being satisfied with executive treatment, so they're like, oh, there he goes again. Um, you know, this puts some strained relationship on the negotiating because now they're thinking, like. It just lends this support to the idea that they're like being sold out. Mm. Okay. so anyways, uh, a joint statement is released by the Chamber of Commerce saying, look, we're going to have a big we're going to have an agreement. It's an unsigned statement by them, but then it lists the 10 like black folk like leaders that have pledged to kind of agree to this, to stop the boycott, stop the picketing and uh, or stop the sit ins and bring back conditions to normalcy, as they say, as soon as possible. Young people are, like, appalled by this, young black people, young civil rights activists. So a meeting is called, and the terms of the agreement are discussed, and this is a very fascinating scene to me. So it's at this church, 2,000 people—my God, can you imagine getting 2,000 people together anywhere other than a well, ball being tossed around? <laughs> um, 2,000 people jammed into Warren in Methodist Church for a heated debate about the sentiment. Um, when one of the black leaders tried to give assurances that the lunch counters would be segregated in September, regardless of what happened in the schools, um, citing his own, my own private understanding with the white business leaders, students and some adult speakers alike changed the value of his word and ridiculed the agreement and said that it failed to say on its face what it meant. Um, the presidents of Morehouse and Spelman refused to defend the settlement Daddy King uh, comes to the pulpit, and he starts to take some heat, because this he's not really accustomed to this, and all of a sudden, he's trying to justify this agreement um, amongst a sea of skeptical teenagers, and... This is what Daddy King says. He's like, for the first time in years, the Chamber of Commerce has agreed to take it upon itself the responsibility of working with the merchants to agree and settle this thing. We've got to give and take. Okay. Um, there was grumbling in the crowd, and Daddy King says, I've been around this. Oh, God, I can just see him. <laughs> this is like the worst thing for him to say. When I'm reading this, I'm going to pause here because I, I, I don't want to. So he says, I've been around this for 30 years. And that's when it's due. This would be me. This would be me, the little jerk in the crowd. Yeah, that's part of the problem. That's what's wrong. The church interrupted in laughter. Booze greeted Daddy King. He became flustered. He starts to get heckled. Uh, and then Martin Luther King comes in. He, uh, he, whatever, he has a habit of like showing up late. He comes to this meeting and he comes in. Let me pause that for a second. So when I was reading this, I was one of two minds. I was thinking, you know, I don't know where this is going to go because I didn't know it. I am sympathetic to the young people and I'm thinking they're going to overturn him and somehow it's going to be like, we have to have another demonstration. But then I'm also thinking, God, there's been a lot of violence. If they're agreeing to something, maybe we should just like let this one, can we maybe kind of agree? Like part of me was thinking that and I felt guilty kind of siding with the black elders and daddy King, like, uh, you know, and I don't, I'm not there. I'm not, but that's how I was thinking. Gabe, what where were you, where was your brain in this? Maybe you knew it, so you didn't know the, the, the surprise.
1: I I didn't know the details of this, but I'm I'm not surprised that it's Martin Luther King Jr.
0: Well, don't give it away. Can I? Should I give it away? And I'll go. And go for it. it. Okay. Right. So, right. uh, miraculously, so he's not even scheduled to speak. He comes in. He makes his way through the crowd. Um, there were tears in his eyes, and then he goes, "I'm surprised at you," he said. Uh, this this cancer of disunity. Slowly King weighed into the extemporaneous speech, um, praising the wisdom of the elders and the innovations of the young people, so tying them both together, and the courage of everybody. He... Um what does he say he needed the contending factions together with a passionate description of their purpose, which to him was even larger in freedom and dignity because they had a chance to show the world that strength and morality could rise together above primordial hatred. He finally returned to a small to the small matter of the dispute uh, resettlement and called the first written contract. He said, "If this written contract's broken, it will be a disaster and a disgrace if anyone breaks this contract. Let it be the white man with that he um, Banned from the church, so leaving King. So he like he leaves the church, basically leaving Daddy King rescued in Ivan Allen, who was also there. Essentially, the settlement is ratified, so, and and Ivan is like in awe. It's like wow, that thing was going to go south. King comes in and rescues it, and but does it in such a way that makes sense. So you want to get into the kind
1: of get under the under the hood of the nuts yeah, and bolts yeah. of, of the of the movement uh, maneuvers here. So. It's, it's getting set up as a classic youth radicals versus elder moderates. And the elder moderates are about to get served their walking papers. Yes. Right? Um, that moment where the voice in the, the crowd calls out Daddy King. Daddy King is suddenly, t- he's, he's deploying his authority. He's deploying his years of leadership. And it's suddenly turned against him. Right? So there's a jujitsu move. Daddy King's on his back. Right. And this could be the moment where the deal breaks down, but not just the deal breaks down, that you have this sort of generational um, discord, disem- disempowerment. Yeah. Well, right. The sort of disempowerment of this elder class. And and you can imagine this playing out in lots of other contexts. Right. And it, in fact, it does. It does later on. In- it it, it play, plays out in the, the white student left at a certain point. It, it certainly can play out in the labor movement. You can imagine this sort of a situation where, you know, in a an experienced older leader says, "Look, this is the way we we've already always done it. Trust me on this." And I mean,
0: when King said that, I was like, "Not." So what? So
1: what? Martin Luther King Jr. does that is really brilliant here. I think uh, to to ratify the deal and to save his father and the elder cadre of leaders without disrespecting the younger cadre. Right. Is he praises the innovation of the younger cadre. He respects the elders. And then here's the high card. It's the unity card, right? I'm ashamed at you for getting us into disunity, and it's not clear who he's talking to. Is he talking about the elders or the younger activists? But he's going to lift up unity, and then he's going to play this kind of... um, The last note is... Kind of an identity note. It'll be the white man who breaks the deal here, because we, all of us, that's white people. When I read that, I was like, "My God, we're 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 people of our word, are we not?" And this is all you have left. Like, I'm just kind of imagining myself as a trade unionist in a room where there's an intense disagreement. It's like organizing jujitsu, (laughs) as exactly. It's like, but unity, unity is 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 the ace in the hole. And if that doesn't work, then we're going to have a civil war because there's nothing left after unity. But here, he pulls it off.
0: And it's not – everything we've read, there was never a uh, – this isn't really compromise either because it's not like they're – they're just, I guess, waiting a little bit. Um, So Mm -hmm. anyways, very great scene. Please read the book. So we go now to – But where has he learned to do this exactly? (laughs) I
1: know. I mean he he got to see some of this in, in Montgomery right he's been trying to put together a national movement but mainly i think he's just a kind of a movement political genius like he is not that experienced it's like
0: did he get this from like reading so much bible and seeing how like I, I don't know like store like i don't know because i was just thinking he's got a lot of experience quickly that's for sure right and under very difficult circumstances could he have said nothing in his charisma his his own essence of being mlk this leader would have qualled the the youth
1: i don't think so i think he had to deploy his authority to a particular purpose and he
0: does i think an argument can be made that he could have people would have just listened if he if he wasn't that good if branch is totally full of s like he could have just said listen we got to do this blah blah and the youth okay it is maybe but maybe but i mean that's not the the story that we're told and i i I, it sounds like that's i mean that seems very plausible
1: if he walks into the room and the youth are overthrowing the elders and he does nothing, he's de facto endorsing the youth. And the deal and, and they will set the tone and there will be open conflict, right? So instead he deploys his authority in this particular way with But I was saying like if he effect. would
0: like challenge the the youth. Like maybe he does. Well, he does. He right, does. right. No, no. He does. Um, anyway. Yeah, so Kennedy believes segregation like colonialism was anachronistic addiction curable by the steady advance of modern attitudes to him. This required the exercise of cool detached reason in an atmosphere of public in a, wait in a, cool detached reason in an atmosphere of public, which was incompatible with an emotional demonstra- with emotional demonstrations by either whites or blacks. Um, there's this funny scene when Kennedy promotes Wolford to be special, assistant to civil rights division where he just like this guy's good he has him put his hand on the bible and says repeat after me and wolford's like what are you talking about what am i doing um and he's like you know you're here you're the you're in the president's office what am i signing up for he's like does it even matter you're gonna be the special assistant to the on civil rights for the president um and he's like okay i guess uh so um in the context of what's going on at the time okay i might take this out because i think it could get into too much modern talk but Branch mentions this one thing, which I thought was interesting, where he says the Iowa legislator was debating a bill that would require the state barbers to know how to cut Negro hair. Um, to me, this seems like the exact kind of uh, do nothing performative thing that some people would love to do, but it wouldn't really make much change and it wouldn't be nothing. And luckily, like I don't think everything anything ever comes of that. Um, just a little comment. Any thoughts? We maybe should talk well- about it.
1: I, I have this recollection of going to get my hair cut in Indianapolis. And um, I was in a hurry and I walked in the first barbershop I could find and it was a black barbershop. And I remember saying, um, You got hair like this, gesturing my hair, which is white people's hair. And the man said, Who uh, looked to me, he was about 65. It turned out he was 85. He said, Well, you got to cut all kinds if you want to make money. <laughs> and uh, therein lay many tails, of course, because he cut my hair. The alternative is for white barbers, I think, to be able to turn away black customers, to say, well, we're not licensed or we're not uh, trained to cut your hair. It might be in that context. I'm, I'm trying to – I don't think I know enough about the context of this. Right. That I, would wh- make more why sense. Why would you have a, 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 a legal debate about this except as an effort to overcome segregation? And see,
0: and, and that's – in what you're saying – thank you for – thinking about that because it seems like it's more of a way to eliminate segregation than like you have to take this class yeah because it's like silly anyways
1: right it's like there's some kind of state licensure for barbers and hairdressers yeah that's normal and that uh in 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 the state they said well there's there's one for whites and one for blacks Right, and so they're trying to do away with the. I it think, obviously I think the do, it doesn't do it doesn't pick
0: up in the civil rights struggle. It's not a major not, not a major yeah. n-
1: n- Among barbers, it's a polarizing line. I'm but sure. But another
0: little minor point of contention was General Grant the third in the contra- controversy over a civil war ceremony that Kennedy was going to be at, and you know there was all this tension over ho- hotels and Kennedy didn't want um, this thing to be showing disrespect to black folks. So. Um, Anyways, it was uh, General General Grant did not like Kennedy, and they had to move, like, their hotels or something like that, and he didn't want anything of, like, race to be discussed at it. There's also tension between Hoover and Kennedy.
1: Can I just pause on this yeah, for a yeah. second? Because I like that uh, Taylor Branch raises this, because, of course, he's conscious that he's writing a history, and here, this is a history of people commemorating history. But this is important stuff, right? That... The, because it's all about the reproduction of ideas in in society right and this descendant of general grant is not taking uh his he, he, he he's not taking serious
0: history he's taking valor and uh, the 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 people that fought the war And the belt buckles and the boots and all that stuff, that's what they're celebrating. They're not celebrating anything about what the Civil War was about. And this becomes a problem in our culture because we don't really know what happened. No.
1: Well, for for example, much more recently, when uh, Ken Burns made his remarkable documentary about the Civil War, Mm -hmm. which kind of reintroduced the Civil War to people of a a certain generation, I guess, which was 10 or or 20 years ago, it opens with uh, film footage of a reenactment of the Battle mm-hmm. of Gettysburg. And he talks about this moment of former soldiers from both sides coming together. But apparently, and this is left out of the documentary, Ken Burns doesn't mention that that event itself was segregated. Right, right. And that was a, a choice by the, because they, the, the people who were inviting these former uh, Confederate soldiers, apparently there was a preference to have a segregated event, even though, of course, it happened in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Right now. And so... That somehow—and that, that's a, that's a editorial decision, which Burns makes. There's so, a lot of problems with that,
0: with Shelby Foote and his uh, romanticizing a lot of stuff there. Anyways, King writes a positive editorial in Nation magazine saying that the Kennedy administration is a good thing and it's an opportunity, to, and it's a call for more to be done. He wants to have meetings with Kennedy. He's excluded from this meeting with some other civil rights leaders. Um, But Kennedy's kind of got a lot of stuff going on with some emerging issues in Vietnam, the Bay of Pigs fiasco. Uh, He's also having problems with Hoover. Finally, he gets a meeting with some of Kennedy's upper-level staffers. This is uh, Wolford, who ends up becoming a PA senator, by the way. And uh, he's allowed to come with one guest. And that one guest, believe it or not, I cannot believe this because when I read it, I couldn't believe it. That one guest is none other than... Gabe Kramer. (laughs) It's Stanley Levinson, Gabe's alter ego and time shifting here. So Levinson did not say much during the meeting. Remember Stanley Levinson, Jewish guy with maybe some communist sympathies. He's the King's like really good friend, white guy. Um, So Levinson didn't say much during the meeting, nor did King uh, And Branch says that he didn't preach to bargain to strike postures when called upon. For response, he hardly endorsed all the administration's plans in the field of voting rights. He promised to step up, uh, and then King-like promised to step up, SCLC registration work in tandem with the lawsuits, and indicated his full understanding of the need to conceal the administration's uh, facilitating role in uh, registration. King did not say um, that voting was not the avenue of progress towards Negro rights, and it was you know, that the sit-ins and the mass meetings weren't going to stop. Like, he just didn't really talk about that, but he didn't, like, stress any points of difference. Um, Branch says that with slow cadence of speech, his lofty expressions and his amiability struck the Kennedy people as a saint or a pushover or both. Um, he was not the type that you would think you'd, you know, go out to have a beer with, but he seemed reasonable. Um, Lewis Martin, who was a... What did we call him before? He was a... He's in the Kennedy administration, the black governor, like the first black mind, or I forget there was a term for him that I read. Um, At the end of the meeting, King kind of like has a discussion with him and says, hey, who's picking up the tab on this on this uh, event? And um, King was kind of worried that Martin was going to get billed for it. He's like, no, no, they're they're paying for this. Um, He's got an account uh, through the Democratic National Committee. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, So they're happy with the meeting. And then King actually runs into... Happenstance, JFK, like in the hallway or something, and they have this like little impromptu meeting, and they just exchange pleasantries, basically. And I think that's the only time they ever meet, because Kennedy gets killed, obviously. Um,
1: This meeting is really interesting, and I think um, it's a it's a secret meeting, right? The meeting I think is in a hotel.
0: Yes, that's right. And it's, it's, it's in D.C. And it's right. a hotel because the, they, they, they have food ordered. Right. And this is why I sort of like Kennedy now because it's like, okay, he's taking – he wants to hear from them. He's taking adv- – like right. this and is it's what r- he's doing.
1: Right. And the, the principal on the, the administration side is, in fact, Robert Kennedy, the attorney general. That's right. right? I'm the, sorry. Big... But no, no. It's okay. It's the way you said that. The, the, the interaction with JFK – Happens during a visit to the White House. This is a meeting in a hotel where, You're right. where You're right. um, Robert Kennedy is there with a whole group of his people. That's right. And the King, meeting King is there with Levison, and and this, it, it, I obviously Stanley Levison is, is never the face of the movement. He's not a pastor. He's not black. Right. But the, the, it's really interesting that King wants him to be in this mm-hmm. room. The and he, here's the other part of it that I think is is intriguing from our perspective because the Kennedy people are, they listen to King, his slow tone. It's very moral. It's high minded. He's not trying to bargain. Mm -hmm. He's not really objecting to what they're saying, but what they don't seem to understand is that King and Levison are in a sense, taking their measure. They're kind of analyzing what the administration plans to do. Mm -hmm. And of course the movement in different ways is going to take its kind of take its, it's depth reading from what they think the administration might do, what its priorities are, and then they're going to start pushing it.
0: So, you, oh, so it's like they're taking the temperature of the candidate, like the administration, like, hmm, what are these guys up to? They're listening, and they're like, we agree with that. That sounds good. <laughs> we're not. We're also going to be doing a bunch of other things, right? But.
1: And, and now his his sort of behind the scenes um, collaborator, fundraiser, strategist has listen with his own ears to what they're saying so the two of them can now have really in-depth discussions about what the administration you know the, the attorney it's not just the attorney general of course it's the president's brother his his close partner mm-hmm. obviously uh, he's he the true vice president in a sense right johnson is a, yeah, a major figure that's true, in the right. administration so you're really if you're talking with Bobby Kennedy you're you're talking with JFK and their understanding they they come away with this with a really clear understanding of how far the administration wants to go, what priorities it wants to set
0: and I hate to say it, but it's also why it's important that you get a favorable person in the office because who knows what Nixon would have been like, maybe he would have done the same type of thing, but you know you're actually in you're actually meeting with these people that's you know that makes a difference
1: right it does feel. It, it it does feel like a big step forward from the Eisenhower
0: administration. That ref- Oh my god, that refused to yeah meet and do anything really. So door is. Um, Eisenhower went to baseball game with a black guy. <laughs> that's, what it's, that's what I learned from that chapter. What did he do? He went to a baseball game with a black guy. In between guy. telling uh, racial epithet based <laughs> yeah. jokes, and then he was upset when there was uh, they took what's his name off the Republican National Committee TV show. Anyways. Dora's doing the Lord's work still uh, with the lawsuits. He's getting concerned about. Oh, this gets complicated with this screws, screws case. Mm. Um,
1: I take my hat off to lawyers. There are some good lawyers. Yeah, out there. I, the, never I, I, lawyer, yeah. I never wanted to be a lawyer, and this reminded me why I never wanted to be a lawyer.
0: I'm going to read this here. Let's try to not get bored to death here because this is really complicated, but. Um, So remember, he's trying to prove that voter suppression or intimidation is occurring, which is hard to do. So what they had to do was obtain um, and present to court the actual voter registration applications and prove that individual black people were denied registration, whereas whites of equal or lower competency were not. And that no factor other than race explained the... the discrepancy, and then they had to prove that such discrep- discrepancies occurred in sufficient numbers to constitute a pattern of discrimination, and that had to be done slowly through the courts um, against obstruction and delay by the opponents on a county-by-county basis, and there were 159 <laughs> counties in Georgia alone. So, um, door meets with Medgar Evers, Oh, there's another like a reading comprehension thing I'm gonna get to for me, or the way uh, Branch writes. We're gonna get to this in a second. So, Door meets with Medgar Evers, who's like doing the Lord's work down there. He's like coming up with a plan. Edgars is like knocking on doors, and I think Doors down there too, like they're popping out of cornfields, interviewing rejected Negro voters. Bob Owen uh, is working with Dorr. He could scan the handwriting of approval forms. And
1: look, we just pause for a second. Mississippi makes Alabama look good.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so um so they can just like look at the form and see who was like who was not maybe that literate. Witnesses were usually it was just like a 1-minute interview outside the courtroom and then they would send the best ones to stand for questioning by door and then he would learn quickly that they needed predominantly rural counties with lots of farmers because teachers and other middle-class suburban negroes felt that this was too much economic pressure for them to testify. Um, that's such a shame because you figure like the middle class would be more like the more educated be like, yeah let's do this like no of course it's like the lumpen proletariat
1: I, uh, I have to say uh, this warmed my heart in some particular
0: way this organizing like this is so I, tedious I, I love this part so it's confusing w- though
1: without, without going into great details and if, uh, we know our, our listeners are, are scattered far and wide but in my work with the union we've been grappling with a particular large hospital system in mm, Pennsylvania, yeah. and it takes courage to stand up and fight a big corporation. I can tell you that th- the number of housekeepers and dietary workers who have been prepared to stand up and take risks compared to the number of doctors is, <laughs> is by uh, a, a... Yeah, uh, it's insane. I literally found... 10 to l- 1 or something. L- it's more like 300 to 1. <laughs> I-, I think I have found maybe two doctors who were... Um, part of that system in, in, over the course of the last decade. Yeah, oh God. And yeah. it, 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 it's, this is what it reminded me of.
0: Interesting. So um, large counties offered a higher pool of potential witnesses than smaller ones, and the de- degree of discrimination tended to vary um, directly with the proportion of the black people in the county. Now, this is where I really think I need to go back to school, because I'm reading this, and he says, Doran Owen had the name of Amelia Boynton, of the Dallas County Voters League. So they go... Do you remember this little scene? Go on. It's tiny, but actually she's so cool. So the Dallas County Voters League, they go to see her. She runs a small insurance office. So I'm thinking she's a white person. She has on her wall uh, a plaque that has stars next to the names of Dallas County Negroes who had tried to register but failed this was like a list of like the people so i thought this was a white person that was like bragging about people not being registered to vote i don't know why i thought that apparently this woman's a badass and she has been trying to help people register to vote so
1: It, it doesn't make sense if she's a white woman
0: i don't think no, well, she's not. She's black.
1: I assume she's black. She, she's a black person. Okay. No, no, no.
0: No, I, I'm saying I'm an idiot. And when I first read this, because I I think I skimmed over it. I'm like, person ran an insurance office, vo- voter thing. What is this? Anyways, so she has this list of people. And she's like a treasure for them, because they can then, Dor and Owen can then go and find all these people. Um, and later on, we learn more about Amelia Boyton And... Sorry, Taylor Branch, but I wish we would have get a little bit more of her because she's a true hero of, like, civil rights history. But, you know, I'll email you and we'll talk about it later, Mr. Branch. Um, I'm going to stop it there because next chapter we're going to get super uh, crazy with Freedom Ride stuff. Um, Anything else you want to add? This is kind of like like resetting the book in a way, I feel. Like, we did all that other stuff. Now we're getting back into some action and... uh, I. Any any other thoughts?
1: Well, it feels like rising action for what's about to break like a thunderstorm. Yes.
0: Um. Anything else you want to talk about? (laughs) We should end this show. I feel good. We got this. Was a oh god. Okay, this is kind of long. All right. Thank you for listening, and we will be back soon.